Texas Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, Silicon Valley's latest immigration controversy and boomers bash back. But first, he's running. Deval Patrick this morning announced, first via Twitter, that he'll seek the Democratic Party's presidential nomination, months and months after saying that he wouldn't. For those who don't know who Patrick is, here's a quick primer. First, he grew up poor in Chicago, became the first in his family to go to college, and later became both a civil rights and corporate lawyer. And as you might have guessed from the Chicago and civil rights lawyer thing, he is close to Barack Obama. Two, he served two terms as governor of Massachusetts. Three, his next job, which Patrick held until yesterday, was as head of a social impact investing fund at private equity firm Bain Capital. Yeah, the same Bain Capital founded by Mitt Romney. Four, he is politically moderate by current Democratic Party standards, although a liberal within the broader sphere of American politics. Now, Patrick's timing here was likely forced by tomorrow's New Hampshire filing deadline, but his late decision has many scratching their heads, both locally in Massachusetts and nationally, wondering why now and how he plans to overcome what will be Elizabeth Warren's inevitable attacks on his private equity resume. In short, he's a long shot. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with Axios political reporter Lexi McCammond. But first, this. This episode is brought to you by Silicon Valley Bank. Know everything about coding, but not so much about banking? For more than 35 years, Silicon Valley Bank has been helping high-growth companies navigate through each stage of the startup journey. Stay tuned to learn more. Silicon Valley Bank. Ideas. Bank here. We're joined now by Axios political reporter Lexi McCammon. Patrick is getting in today. This comes, what, a week after all the talk of Mike Bloomberg particularly jumping in. Can you give us some context? What does it mean that these two relative moderates who had for months said they weren't going to run are now getting into this thing? Well, what's really fascinating about both Michael Bloomberg and Deval Patrick considering getting into the race at this point or getting in, like you just mentioned, with Patrick is that it seems like they're looking at the way that the primary field has been shaping up for Democrats so far running for president and either feeling dissatisfied with the front runners, which they're not going to say publicly, but we've already seen the ways in which they have called out people like Biden and Warren through policies or other things. Or they just think that there is a lane for them to be a more moderate candidate, as is the case with Deval Patrick, as they're seeing someone like Elizabeth Warren rise to the top and maybe hearing chatter about folks on Wall Street being worried about her becoming the nominee, as you are all too familiar with. So I think it's sort of having this removed look and thinking, well, I could do or offer something better than what the American people are currently being offered, which is like a pretty fascinating thing. Do you see him having a lane, an electoral lane here? I mean, I I think a few weeks ago, no one would have said that they saw the lane that is now emerged for Mayor Pete. And so I'm hesitant to write him off this early. I think that what is interesting is that he would be the third African-American candidate to jump in the race. And we haven't really seen Senators Cory Booker or Kamala Harris taking off, even with black voters, in the way that I think that a lot of folks thought they would before they announced, and especially someone like Kamala Harris when she announced and had such a great launch. It's interesting that he's also, again, trying to position himself as more of a moderate candidate because, I mean, there's Joe Biden, but his brand of moderate politics is less, I think, about being a moderate Democrat and more about being a nostalgic Democrat who is sort of like, let's get rid of Trump and go back to the way things were during the Obama era and things will be great. And so that really leaves Mayor Pete Buttigieg as the only sort of moderate Democrat, and I'm using air quotes that you can't see, in the top four, because he has, I think, seen, again, the way in which Bernie and Warren have maintained their spots in two and three. Biden is not a properly moderate Democrat in the sense of 
someone who is totally to the center from Warren and Bernie. And he has moved more to the center even after he said things like wanting to pack the courts or he supported Medicare for all in 2018. He's moved more to the center. And so I think that there is an opportunity for a real moderate candidate who just hasn't taken off. But I don't know if that's going to be Deval Patrick. I think he's got a lot to prove. Is his math here, his electoral math saying, OK, you're right. So Harris and Booker didn't take off. They're doing nothing, it seems, in Iowa, not having any success in Iowa. So is he saying, look, I avoid Iowa, so I don't have to worry about that. I go into New Hampshire, which is my neighboring state. It's the one place, probably the one early primary where Patrick actually has very high name recognition. If I can be the Sanders-Warren alternative there, if I can beat Biden, if I can beat Buttigieg in New Hampshire, then I can slide down into the South Carolina and I can be the only African-American candidate left standing on the ballot there. I actually think that there might be some logic to that. And again, I'm, I'm not in the predictions game, but if we think back to when Barack Obama was running, Yes, We Can, his slogan, didn't emerge until after the New Hampshire primary. He did very well in Iowa. He won Iowa. He yep. didn't win New Hampshire, but he came in second. And he launched the slogan of Yes, We Can after New Hampshire, which suggests to me, of course, you know, Deval Patrick and Barack Obama are not the same person. It's at the same time. It wouldn't be the same campaign. But that's all to say that while Iowa matters, I don't think it's a terrible strategy for Deval Patrick to get into the race with his eyes set on New Hampshire and performing really well there. And then signaling to voters, especially black voters in South Carolina who are watching these primaries and caucuses in Iowa and New Hampshire closely, that he does have a chance, despite getting into the race late, despite questions about electability that have been happening all cycle long. He does have a chance because he'll perform well with these so-called crucial independent voters or more independent-minded voters in New Hampshire. And I think that that could change things, especially, you know, you mentioned black voters in South Carolina and how Deval Patrick would be the only black candidate in South Carolina standing potentially. Joe Biden's support with black voters has been high and he has maintained a high support among them. But it's also pretty fluid. We've seen a number of black voters moving over to Warren's side. And so I think as Deval Patrick enters the race today, we should look to see how black voter support starts shifting to other candidates. Patrick has an interesting resume. It is half public service, half private sector. And he's already getting hit a bunch for some of the stuff he did as a corporate attorney, legal counsel for both Texaco and for Coca-Cola. But more importantly, or more recently, at least, he's been working for Bain Capital for the past four years, which is the firm Mitt Romney founded, which in 2012 was talked about over and over by Barack Obama as a negative against Mitt Romney. Is it conceivable that Democratic Party primary voters will vote in large numbers for somebody who has private equity on his resume, particularly given how often and how loudly Elizabeth Warren has been talking about private equity as kind of greedy capitalist fraudsters? I think that as long as Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are in the top three positions, and if they are ever on stage with Deval Patrick at the same time, that will not be something that he can escape easily, and it'll be something that he'll have to answer for. And that's something that I think will take a lot of nuance, because it's not something he'll come out and just and you know wholeheartedly denounce or renounce and say that he regrets that decision. But he'll have to make the case for why it's okay to be a Democrat with a corporate background that you just detailed in 2019 with a progressive, in his vision, way for the country to move forward. But I don't think it's something that he'll be able to ignore. For you, you know a bunch of people in Biden camp. How is Biden camp viewing this, if only because it's hard for me, and maybe I'm wrong about this, to imagine Deval Patrick, given his personal history with Obama, does this without the former president's blessing. There are reports out today that he did get 
Barack Obama's blessing. And that's something that I know a number of people have sought out and a number of people have gotten advice from Barack Obama. You know, there was a 2018 New Yorker profile at the end of the year last year that was talking about all these things, with Deval Patrick being a potential presidential candidate, how he needed Obama's blessing. Now that he has that, I mean, I'm sure that's something that's irks Biden privately, but the way that he has run his campaign and the way that his team operates is with a really sort of confident, like, you know, we're going to keep our heads down, do the work, move forward and not get dragged into fights or calling people out when we don't need to and just keep going steam ahead. I think that Biden's team fully recognizes they will use his proximity to Barack Obama to take him as far as he possibly can on that alone. There is a chance that Deval Patrick will bring up his experience and personal relationship with Obama more, and that could eat away at that idea that Biden is Obama's right-hand man. But I don't think this is going to significantly take away from the Obama-Biden sort of romance that people came to know and love about Biden then and that they like about Biden now. Axios political reporter Lexi McCammon, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Dan. My final two right after this. Earlier, we highlighted Silicon Valley Bank's experience with helping startups. But with Silicon Valley Bank, you're also getting a partner committed to supporting you as you strive to hit your next milestones. Perhaps that's why 50% of VC-backed tech and life science companies choose Silicon Valley Bank. Visit svb.com forward slash next to learn more. Silicon Valley Bank. Ideas. Bank here. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is GitHub, a company central to the life of software developers, but unknown to just about everyone else. Now, GitHub was bought last year by Microsoft for $7.5 billion, but it's now in the midst of controversy over a $200,000 contract with the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency, or ICE. Yesterday, there were protests over that contract outside of a GitHub conference, and one employee publicly resigned over it, bringing the total to at least five. Company CEO Nat Friedman has tried to quell the anger by donating half a million dollars to nonprofits, helping communities affected by Trump immigration policies, and arguing that GitHub helps ICE have smarter software, which is something that pro-immigration groups actually want. But the bottom line here is as it's been for the past few years. If a Silicon Valley tech company works with ICE, it's prone to start an internal and external rebellion. And finally, most of the media might be obsessing over OK Boomer memes, but few of those media organizations are as successful as the AARP, which generates more than $174 million per year in media-based ad revenue, and which has one of the country's largest print and digital audiences. As the AARP's editorial director, Mirna Blythe, told Axios earlier this week, quote, we're the people who actually have the money. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Jesse Lee, have a great National Pickle Day, and we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast.